and here we are. Hi, everyone. Welcome to RPG R&D. This is our first episode, um, and I am Jess Geyer, and with me today, my co-host, uh, Craig. Craig, you want to introduce yourself? Sure. I'm Craig Campbell. Um, I'm the owner of Nerdburger Games, and um, I make a bunch of RPGs, um, things like capers and all the supplements and variants that go with that, and Die Laughing and Murders and Acquisitions, um, and Good Strong Hands, which just uh, wrapped up on Kickstarter uh, a month or so ago, and um, hopefully we'll see publication early next year. Um, and I'm like, uh, I'm one half of the person, uh, one half of the, the pair, um, along with Aloy LaSanta, who's making Nerd Eye happen here. So um, if you keep an eye out on the channel, there's other stuff that I'm, games I'm running, and there's stuff that Aloy's doing, and um, he and I do a show every other Friday together um, next week. At the same time, it will be Aloy and I, so that's me. Yeah, my, my resume is not as long. Uh, like I said before, I'm Jess Geyer. I am one half of Wannabe Games, and uh, we our big game is Moon Punk. It's a game about punks fighting oppression and fascism on a dystopian retro-futuristic moon, um, although we have lots of other smaller games um, out there, too. So uh, speaking of long resumes, uh, our guest today is Banana Chan. Banana Chan with one of the longest games resumes I've <laughs> I've heard of. So <laughs> not as long as Senfeng Lim. I'm getting there, but not quite. <laughs> uh, thanks for having me on the show. Yeah, my name is Banana Chan. Uh, she, her, they, them. Uh, I'm the owner and co-founder of a small box board game and it's now RPG publishing company called Game and a Curry. Uh, I also design uh, and write and develop uh, games. Uh, some of my latest games have been for Junction of London Banquet Hall, um, Scooby-Doo Betrayal at Mystery Mansion, uh, which is a spinoff off the Betrayal game series. Um, and uh, Warp's Edge was something that I wrote for as well. Uh, now, we currently have a Kickstarter for this game called Questlings, uh, which is an introductory uh, kids tabletop RPG. So that's the thing that I'm working on right now. I love that. I, I work with kids. I'm a high school teacher. So I think anything that can get kids into gaming is such a worthwhile endeavor. Yeah, Thanks. So yeah, RPG R&D, like I said, this is our inaugural episode. And this is a podcast about game design and uh, really for people who do game design and also people who GM. And we're going to go through three different segments. So starting with um, some topics on GMing and then we will transition into um, game design and publishing. And then we're going to have a potpourri segment where we talk about a topic that our guest uh, was interested in and uh, you know, has some expertise in. So uh, that you can see from our backgrounds, uh, a little hint there about what that <laughs> is. <laughs> I'm very excited. <laughs> do you have anything you wanna add, Craig, to our first ever introduction? <laughs> <laughs> um, well, uh, the, the hope here is uh, Jess and I have planned out the topics for, for GMing and for game design for the first eight episodes. And the idea is, um, it just like, it struck me that there's often people, I see people on social media every so often, eh, not even every so often, fairly regularly, who are talking about how they're going to be GMing for the first time. And they're very nervous, but also very excited. Um, and they're, they're trying to talk about what they're doing. People are, are being supportive. Um, and I thought, well, what, what, why don't we talk a little bit about like jamming from the point of view of somebody who's relatively new to it, 
Um, and you know everything that we'll cover will also hopefully be reminders to people who are more experienced with jamming, um, who might be like, oh yeah, that's right, I should probably try to do that too, or that's some, that's a, that's an interesting thing to keep in mind, or whatever. Um, and then with the um, game design thing is to also kind of take um, just the basic idea of RPG design over the course of eight uh, eight segments in eight episodes, starting with like the inception of the game, figuring out what the game is about, and then ending it with like um, what the uh, kind of what uh, publishing venues there are ways to get your game into people's hands um and then after that after those eight episodes then we'll start to jump around and 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 get like hit more specific topics and do some different things and then the potpourri like uh jess said will be kind of like what the what the guest um or what we as a as a uh, you know, the, the three of us decide like okay what's what's something fun that we can talk about that'll be kind of like geek or nerdery adjacent something mm-hmm. that might be applicable to gaming or is just kind of geeky in general so that's everything's yeah everything's applicable applicable to gaming so in in some way yeah um but there certainly are going to be topics that are going to be more prevalent oh yeah (laughs) amongst the geek crowd um so uh gming um jess where are we starting well um i can tell you a little bit here just about um my experience gming i i've gmed way more than i've been a player so talking about you know, game, game mastering. That's what GMing, if you're unfamiliar with the term, that's what that means. It's the people who run your RPGs. And one of the first things that you uh, should do, in my opinion, as, as a GM is when you're starting to think about your campaign, um, planning it out and, and, and doing what you might call a uh, session zero is, is common in the parlance. So that is uh, our first topic um, on on GMing, so setting expectations and 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 you know what what that means for you if you are the person running a game. So, uh, well, why don't I throw this over to Banana? Yeah, put her uh, in what the is your, What's what's your experience <laughs> doing um, setting expectations and running a session zero as a game master? Yeah, so. Um... I think it's uh, it's like a step-by-step process and like with any sort of, uh, you know, even when you're running the game, even when you're playing the game, it sometimes depends on an outline, right? I think that session zeros also benefit from having an outline that's uh, sort of like pre-planned so you know what notes to hit uh, in case you forget anything. So pre-planning for the pre-planning uh, is what I'm trying to get at. Um, I think like, you know, when you're doing all the safety stuff, like when you're, you know, setting, sitting around the table or like, you know, playing digitally, you always want to make sure that the players know what they're getting themselves into first, like if this game is going to be for them. Um, and if it's not, that's totally fine. Like, you know, if you want to call out, that's okay. Uh, because your time's like really valuable and like, you don't really want to, you know, spend mm-hmm. two to four hours playing a game that you don't enjoy. Um, so I think like making sure that everyone around the table knows what they're playing, first of all, uh, is really important before going into like lines and veils and, uh, you know, other things like the X card or the open door policy. Uh, so like definitely talking about like the tone of the game, uh, you know, any media touchstones that might be applicable, like say, for example, if you're running a game that's you know, like kids on bikes, maybe you'll be like, oh, it's sort of like the Goonies. Um, so that way people like, you know, can gauge their interest. 
Yeah, and I think you're spot on with the the idea that your your time at the table is golden. You want to make sure if you if you're bringing people together, you want campaigns to last. That's that's one of the common complaints about people who who play games. They'll play a couple sessions of something and it'll just fizzle out. And I think a lot of that could be solved by, like you said, the the tonal expectations, the the touchstones, those what kinds of stories are you going to tell in this collaborative medium? If you don't have a plan for that, you might be leaving some of your players out in the out in the dust. Right. Yeah. And if you have players that are not as assertive, perhaps, as other players can be, mm-hmm. um, or if you are very extroverted um, and, and assertive, like you could you run the risk of having a player who's just kind of like, well, I thought I was getting into this, but I'm actually getting into this, and I'm not really wild about it, but they don't necessarily want to say something about it, mm-hmm. um, especially once everything gets going and everybody else seems to be having a good time. So, so setting that stage and setting the tone and deciding kind of letting everybody know what the game is going to be about, what sorts of boundaries are going to be there, what things aren't going to be touched on um, at the beginning is useful, and then ultimately kind of checking in and making sure that like just checking with the players and saying okay you know like we we plan to do this and now we're doing this and maybe the thing went a little into another area and make sure we're all okay with that we're not going to start to skew into an area that one of the players is is um, very uncomfortable with or doesn't want to you know have any part of um so uh there's there's something to be said for making sure that everybody is on board with that. And that includes the GM. This is something Jess and I were talking mm-hmm. about when we were planning this is that the GM is a player. Um, so the GM, you know, if you're, if you're doing the GMing, you want to make sure that the players are, are having a good time and are being engaged um, and having fun. If that's what the game is about, or they're being engaged and being made to think um, and examine things, if that's what the game is about. Um, but you should, you know, be in the right place too. You know, you don't have to give up your enjoyment um, just to give the players a particular experience. Make sure that it's an experience that you want. Yeah, and you might find when you're, you know, doing that session zero that you're not the best GM for the game that everyone wants to play at the moment, and that's also fine. Maybe, maybe you're you're doing it, and one of your people who you thought was going to be your player is getting really excited, coming up with lots of great story ideas, and they might decide to make the leap into GMing, and you might be a player, which is the dream, the golden dream as a forever GM. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) But yeah, you are a player too. You want to make sure that you're helping tell a story because you're just as involved. You're, you know, kind of, usually you're the narrator threading story elements together and bringing things in. Um, But it is, it is a a pretty big responsibility to GM because you do have to also kind of balance the expectations of everybody else too. Um, And keep people, keep people, true to form to the expectations that you set out. Um, if you said that you wanted to play um, uh, a, like a kids on bike scenario um, where, where the kids are, you know, it's going to be serious. It's going to be um, maybe a little silly at times, but it's, it's going to have that, um, that very uh, stranger things kind of vibe but then you have some players or even just like one a player that's getting like way too goofy, way too over the top. You can bring it back to those expectations that you set out in the beginning and be like, hey, remember when we said we wanted it to feel like this? Here's how I'm feeling when you, when you do these actions as a player. I don't feel like that's lining up with our expectations. 
And that way you don't feel awkward telling a player like you're being a problem right now. Can we, can we roll it back? You have something to kind of um, bring up that will be less likely to hurt feelings in that way. Yeah. And I think going off of that as well, like a lot of the time people use the X card as a way to, you know, sort of tell other players that I'm not feeling comfortable with the topic at hand, but they can also use it to say, hey, this doesn't make sense to the story, or this is something that we had not agreed on, or maybe this is like just something that's like off the rails a little bit. So maybe let's like go back and reel in a little bit more. Um, so using that X card in that way really helps. Uh, on the other hand, also like using an O card. So like if you're tapping an O card and saying, oh, I'm really enjoying like, you know, this thing that's happening in the scene, let's go in this direction. I think that sort of, uh, you know, changes gears a little bit and makes people like focus, the players at the table focus more on, you know, the thing that's happening and trying to increase attention to, uh, to the topic that's being brought up. Now you've mentioned lines and veils already. You've mentioned the X card. Um, this is honestly the first time I've heard about the O card and I, I find that fasc fascinating. Would you mind kind of explaining what lines and veils are and the X card are and then explaining to me what an O card is and does? <laughs> Yeah, absolutely. So uh, lines are uh, lines and veils. Let's start with that. So lines are uh, lines that you do not cross. These are topics that you will not discuss uh, at the table. You'll not like you know uh, bring them up during play. Uh, on the other hand, veils are things that we will veil over at the table. So uh, these are topics that you can talk about, but maybe don't go into like descriptive you know details about the thing that's happening um a common thing that is brought up in uh, as a veil is uh, usually action movie violence so it's okay if you know uh there's like a car chase but maybe like don't go into too much detail about like the license plate numbers and like you know all the things that are happening um so that's like uh that, that's what lines and veils are. Uh, an X card is uh, basically just like a card. It's like a, a piece of paper that you'll like draw an X on, you put it in the middle of the table um, and you touch it uh, during play or before play during like, you know, a session zero even uh, where you're just like, hey, this is making me feel uncomfortable or hey, like I don't really like the way that the story is going. I'm gonna press the X card and we can pause, we can rewind and then redo the scene uh, if we like, or if we need to take a breather, we can take a break as well. Uh, so that's what an X card is. Uh, but an O card um, is basically the same thing as an X card. It's still a piece of paper, you draw an O on it, but when you touch it, that means that you're really enjoying the scene. You're really enjoying the thing that's happening right now. Maybe let's pay attention to this thing a little bit more or bring it up a little more in play. Yeah. More of that, please. Yes, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I love that as, because I've used lines and veils and X card as, as safety tools to um, you know, make sure that everyone is enjoying themselves at the table um, not just narratively too, but also, you know, emotionally, um, for themselves. I, I think I'm definitely going to start incorporating an O-card because that, that, that's a great addition, uh, to that. And, and setting expectations too, it's, it's also a safety tool. Um, having that session zero is in a, in and of itself a safety tool too. So thank you for sharing that. I've, I've learned something new today. <laughs> um, I think there's, uh, for this, the setting expectation side of it too, is another thing to keep in mind, um, especially if it's a new group 
um, you know, like a new campaign, is you can set set an expectation for the like the the game period itself. That is to say, make sure everybody understands like this is we we, we intend this to be like a weekly game. It's going to happen on this day. We can expect it to be roughly this amount of time, so that people know to plan for it if if, if they've got a set time aside. If they're going to be driving anywhere someday when we all start driving to games again. Um, <laughs> Um, and also to kind of know, um, like the, the, what I like to kind of think of as the, the group culture, like, is this going to be a group where you kind of expect everybody to be on point and playing character and keeping the game kind of as the focus, or is this going to be like on the other end of the spectrum is like, is Monty Python quotes like going to fly like crazy? Is this going to be a much more social experience? Um, or is it going to be maybe somewhere in between so that you don't have somebody that's coming in expecting story, 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 um, when the group is like, you know, mostly there to just kind of hang out. <laughs> yeah. Um, because, uh, that, that, that can create, you know, potentially resentment with, um, with the player who, uh, who, who gets into a game group that's like, this is not the game experience that I'm used to or was expecting. Yeah, I have a game that I've been playing for years now, um, since like 2015, I've 2016, 2015, 2016 is um, when I started playing with this group. And when I started, I was a stranger to the group, but they had been playing with each other for, for some time. And it was really useful for me. Um, and it was kind of intense because I actually had like a, we met up at a, a Panera bread <laughs> uh um to meet with the gm and and he talked to us about like hey here's what the group is like you know we do this every saturday we're interested in people who you know are engaged at the table um our our game's pretty serious we expect people to be there like consistently because my time is worth um worth this you the time of the other players is 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 worth a lot to me too and i'm trying to tell you know, we're trying to tell this type of story that, you know, requires a, a level of engagement. And it was helpful for me knowing going in that that was what I was going to get into with a group of strangers. Uh, and I, it worked out really well because now I, I've been in, I've been playing the same, <laughs> like almost in the same world, different campaigns, same world for so many years. And I've gotten to know them so well, um, all because I, I think setting up those ex expectations at the beginning and it helped knowing those expectations because I have had to um, witness a player be removed from the game because they, you know, refuse to meet those expectations, which is always, always difficult. It's always an emotional thing to have to remove a player. Right. And the flip side is a, is a game where it's like, well, I, you know, I'm GMing and I know I've got like seven players, but I'm only expecting that only like four or five mm -hmm. will show up each week. And we, you know, everybody understands that like characters will get written out or they'll just get sidetracked for a little while, or there'll be, uh, you know, extras in the background. Um, but you know, where, where it's less serious. And so like mm -hmm. where, uh, if you're playing in a group, like maybe your schedule demands that maybe or not as the GM, but like maybe the player's schedule demands that like, I can't do every single time I've got you know, I've got my, I've got a, th a thing that happens with a kid for sure. Like every Saturday <laughs> afternoon I got, there's like one, once a month, there's always like some big thing that happens with, with a kid um, or um, have they have work things that happen or, you know, other um, uh, commitments that, uh, cause you know, uh, as, as the gaming crowd, um, I'm, I'm 
certainly I think amongst the three of us probably the old I don't know if I qualify as a grognard because I don't really think of <laughs> myself that way <laughs> but you know I've, I've been playing for 30 years and I'm you know I've got a uh, like a, there's certain responsibilities that like it make it's it's harder for me to do a weekly kind of thing on a very long-term consistent basis and I'm just, there's a lot of, of players who have that issue as well yeah my Saturday game um uh my fiance Alex I I told him when we started dating like hey I'm not available on Saturdays I have this game that I really like so I kind of scheduled my life around that game <laughs> I have <laughs> You better be okay with priority. only going out on these other nights. I'm, I'm not there every Saturday. On but, this day, you, know. you don't get me. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm sure there are plenty of people, like for people who are really into gaming or for any 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 activity, if there's something that they're really into, like there's certain times that like, you know, I'm, I'm going to do this. And if you get into a relationship, that person kind of has to come to understand that. It's um, true. And you have to be open to the other person. Um, mm-hmm being in that position anything else uh, banana before we start to wind this one up a little um yeah i would say like one more thing is uh workshopping is something that i've been seeing a lot lately just because that's something that's like leaked over from larp uh where players uh would workshop mechanics or safety tools or whatever before play so I mean, not everyone has like a lot of time, but if that's something that's like interesting to uh, integrate into your game, that could be interesting as well. Uh, So by workshopping, I mean uh, making sure that everyone just like practices the the safety stuff or practices sort of like a tutorial version of the mechanics and the, you know, dice rolling and like the, you know, how the characters work. Um, So I've been seeing like some games sort of uh, integrate that tutorial section into their scenarios or their their, uh, safety stuff in general. That's really interesting. I hadn't ever thought about that because I I LARP too. And there's always when you onboard to a new LARP, they're like, okay, we're going (laughs) to practice when we say hold, everyone's taking a knee. We're going to practice how hard you can hit each other if you're doing a LARP where there's like foam weapons. I, I, I love that idea. Yeah, I think that like um, something that I've realized that has been taken a lot from like uh, LARP is also the debrief. Um, so the debrief is also really important where uh, players get to like de-roll and remove themselves from their characters and just like talk about any residual feelings that might uh, be at the table or like, uh, you know, talk about what you liked that, you know, a player did or didn't do or like, you know. Uh, what have you and then that way you could set set expectations or start to set expectations for the next um, session that you run yeah and that's really handy particularly if the game is going to get into like darker themes or um, um, kind of, you know, something that's going to stir up uh, strong emotions outside of just like, woohoo, we, we won or, you know, <laughs> yeah. the, the, you know, the adventure, the happy adventure um, kind of game. So excellent. Good stuff. I learned some stuff too today. This is fun. Yeah, this is Okay. I think, I think we're going to do this again next in a couple of weeks, Jess. Does, are, are we, are we on board? Are we thinking we're going to keep doing this? Cause I'm enjoying oh, it. Oh yeah. I, I'm enjoying it a lot too. So um, I, I think that after this, we'll, we'll, we'll debrief and we'll talk about what, <laughs> what, what we're, cause Jess and I actually talked a bit about expectations for this, this thing. I mean, this is an interactive social <laughs> thing and 
um, wanted to make sure that we knew kind of like what, what our plans were for guests and what our plans were for topics and how we were going to kind of handle this. And it all seems very seamless, I'm sure. It seems so incredibly professional. <laughs> but we talked a lot before this started up. So same thing yeah. for our game. Just, you know, spend a little time kind of getting ready for it. So much overlap between, you know, gaming and real life. Yeah. Because I mean, gaming is life. <laughs> <laughs> anything that's anything that, that's going to become a significant part of your life, it's it's worth spending a little time preparing. Mm -hmm. and, for sure. And knowing where you're going to head with it. And, you know, that's a good segue into the game design because, you know, when you're or starting up a game, making a game, you are going to be spending a significant portion of your life for the next week or, or month or sometimes years. And uh, thinking about your game and how you're getting started on it will set you <coughs> up for success later down the road. So that is my segue. <laughs> Excellent. Well done. Yeah. So I, I, Good I, think, <laughs> um, I think what we're, what, what we were thinking about doing and, and the whole process is not perfect. Like, you know, the way a person, everybody designs who designs a game does, excuse me, does it a little differently. Mm -hmm. um, so we just kind of picked things that we thought would be kind of like more or less in order. Um, and uh, the, the first thought here is like, just so you want to design a game. Well, yeah. what's that game about? Um, what's your idea? What is the thing that you want to, to do? Why do you want to do it? Um, and, uh, you know, kind of defining what all of that is before you start to get deep into, um, like, actually writing up stuff, figuring out mechanics or, you know, or, or looking for a system that you're going to use or whatever. And we'll get, we'll get to all of that. Um, does anybody here want to volunteer how they came, like, where, where the idea came from? for a game that they've designed or or are designing um as far as just to kind of you know because everybody's experiences on this is different i'm sure some people say that like i want to take this game and twist it into another thing and some people are like this game doesn't exist there's nothing like this or at least that i know of um so they decide they want to make that um anybody want to volunteer i, can I, volunteer. I will go ahead okay. i'll go ahead um i remember the day that Alex and I started planning on making Moonpunk and it was we had just played another game uh, called Witchpunk uh, so you can see where the where the relation there was and that's that's a game about punk witches and it, it was fun uh, but we had a lot more fun like being punks at the table and and you know in, involving ourselves in that ethos and we wanted to make a game that was even more punk than the game that we played. And uh, we started talking about it. And I think I one off said like something like punks on the moon. And then Alex started talking about the moon is a harsh mistress. And we started just kind of snowballing from there because of a, an experience that we had um, gaming together had origins two years ago. Um, and, you know, it was just kind of uh, an evolve an evolving idea from just an experience that we had together at the table and I think that's where a lot of people start getting their ideas for games it's either they they read something or they watched something or or more often they they played something and they thought I want to do something like this too do you two have similar experiences yeah um, oh sorry go ahead go ahead yeah I would say um I definitely like consume a lot of media <laughs> um to get my ideas uh and a lot of the time it's just like 
thoughts and ideas that are thrown into a Google Doc, like especially if I'm working with someone else, like all of these thoughts just like get brainstormed there. Um, so that way we can go back and forth and like pick and choose like the stuff that we want to work on uh, and then focus on. And then that way we could, you know, bring that into like a, like a template that's already made up. Um, usually like I like to work from like RPG templates that I, you know, already have everything there. So it has like all the layout um, there for you, like character creation, mechanics, so on and so forth. And then that way it's like easier to plan and easier to work in sprints, uh, which I know is not everyone's ideal working situation, but I like to work that way. Um, so yeah, that's like generally how I work. Yeah, you do a lot of collaboration. So you you probably bounce a lot of ideas off of the people that you're working with, don't you? Yeah, I prefer like working on teams or working with like another person because that way at least you can like sort of see what works and what doesn't. Like smaller LARPs or smaller, you know, RPGs are like, you know, small, I don't know, epistolary like type things or like uh, solo journaling type things like that. I can, you know, work by myself on. But like if I want to take on like a larger project, I would rather work with someone else. That way we can go back and forth on ideas. Um, what about that, you, Craig? That's, uh, well, I, I work mostly uh, um, like on my own um, ideas and I, I, I do a lot of the writing. You know, I get the game pretty far down the road before there's um, other people involved. Um, and um, like the, the thing that I find most interesting about um, the idea, the, the like coming up with the game idea, is that I think m not all games, but many games are, are much like um, both uh, like t uh, good TV shows and good movies that they have text and they have subtext like what's the game about and then what's the game really about um, and in conjunction with that kind of like what's the game about for the characters and what's the game about for the players like what experience do you want the characters to have in the game and what experience do you want the players have while playing the game um, and um, I think it's worth if, if not examining that right at the outset, at least keeping it in mind and as you start to develop some aspects of the game, and you can get quite a ways down the road on, on one, one aspect or, or like some portions of the game, and then it suddenly occurs to you, oh, the game is like, it's, it's, it's about this, but it's really about this. And then that helps you to kind of deepen what the game is about and, um, and suggests interesting mechanics and it suggests interesting relationships between um, how the players and the GM interact with one another and how, like, you know, how the, the various things that they control, the you know, the players controlling the characters and the GM controlling everything else, the setting and NPCs and monsters and, and the environment uh, of, the, mm -hmm. of the game world. Um, and it creates um, a lot more, you know, like there's, there's, there's more to play to it. And that's not to say that um, a game that is like, well, I'm going to make a game that's all about, um, you know, just... <laughs> You know, my characters, my the characters in the game run around helping people. They're like they're like good 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 people who do good things. And does that need subtext? No, not necessarily. I mean, it's like it's characters going around doing good things. There's and and you get to kind of live vicariously and have the chance to do that with your character, and that's that's a fun player experience um, to have your characters be helpful and and live their best life um, when you you know in real life you maybe <laughs> find yourself having a hard time doing some of those types of things because of well the world um 
but uh, there's there's definitely things underneath um, that uh, a lot of games can do. So like, I, I I encourage anybody who's coming up with an idea for a game is to think about like what the game is about, what it's really about, and then also what the what the character experience is intended to be and what the player experience is intended to be. Like with Capers, um, which is a game I designed that's about um, uh, super-powered gangsters in the 1920s. So, you know, um, Al Capone types, you know, um, the, the romanticized version of all of that, even though they were all murderous thugs. Um, <laughs> but, you know, the, the, the film version, the, the, fun, the fun version. Um, doing, uh, you know, you know, building up, building a, an empire, um, and living the high life at, in prohibition, but also having superpowers and being able to do kind of neat things. Um, but then, <clears throat> and that's what the, that's what the characters do, but what the players are doing is they're gambling. Um, the, 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 the game mechanic uses a playing card, uh, system and it's a, and it's like a press your luck system. So like every time you're making a trait check, you're gambling. Um, you can press it and press it and press it and hope to get a better result and a better result, but you're risking failure every time. So everything, like everything is literally like a gambling is like a little gamble. Um, and so like you're gambling just the same way, like in the, in the world of the game, the characters are gambling with their lives. You're gambling with your character's success. Um, and I didn't realize that's what the game was about for the players until about halfway through designing it. (laughs) Yeah, sometimes that doesn't come out and and become really obvious to you as the designer until later. And the the same thing goes like with story writers as well. Sometimes the theme of a story that you're writing doesn't doesn't make itself obvious until you've, you know, started a draft, sometimes even finished a whole first draft. But I like what you said. Um, You've aligned your game mechanic (coughs) with what is going on in your game, too, and the best games have a lot of the alignment, the alignment of the 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 text of the story with the subtext of the story with what the like what the mechanics are doing and, and having that good idea and really thinking about it will help you build that solid foundation for the rest of your game. You know, like with, with Moonpunk, we wanted to make sure that the the moves, it's a powered by the apocalypse system but we wanted to make sure those moves really evoked a feeling of I am fighting against the man. I, um, I am rebelling. I, you know, I'm, I'm doing something. And then the experience the players are getting out of it is how can I learn how to fight oppression in my own community? Um, and just aligning that as much as possible, I feel made for a stronger game experience. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think we did something similar with Jung Shibla in the Banquet Hall where we, so Sentinel Lim and I, we wanted to make a game. We had been talking about making a game forever. Um, and then finally, we were just like, let's do this thing. And initially when we started, we wanted to make a game about our own culture and we wanted to make a game about like, you know, you know, Chinese culture in general, just like something to do with like food because that's like a lot of what our culture center is around, <clears throat> like many others. Uh, but we wanted to set, you know, set it in like a banquet hall because that's like what we remember growing up. Um, so just like having something like that integrated into the story. But as we were like going and writing this thing out, we realized that, uh, you know, why not add the hopping vampires? Because that's like sort of this metaphor for uh systemic racism and all the stuff that's like happening with to the characters uh and like you know 
losing oneself like literally on the board when you're like playing the game like as you're losing health as you're taking damage you are like receiving these cards that are the juncture cards that are just like you know your loss of self cards um and like once all you have all your slots filled up and when you get these loss of self cards i'm just like backtracking back and forth i'm just like remembering things but like <laughs> when you get these loss of self cards you're covering up something on your character sheet so like you can no longer use that thing. So say you had a skill before that was cooking, right? Um, you took damage from a juncture, you can no longer cook or you can no longer like do this thing um, that you once knew how to do because you're actually losing uh, bits of yourself. And as we're like designing this, we were just like, okay, so we have a metaphor for oppression. We have like, you know, all the stuff that's happening. And this is like a really sort of like a draining, <laughs> draining pun there uh <laughs> or like tough game to play but we realized like after playing this several times with like other people it's not actually about like the oppression it's not about like you know the the terrible things that are happening to the family it's actually about resilience and coming together as a family and trying to like get past all this stuff all this bad stuff and still manage to survive so yeah, totally what everyone's saying, just like all this text and subtext that that we had to like think about when uh, when making this thing. I love that. That's brilliant. And I'm sure that the experience is different for someone who is like like a, a, someone of Chinese descent versus like if I played the game, I'm sure that the experience would be different um, as well, depending on who's playing. I love I love the incorporation of that. It's, and I was hoping you were going to talk about Junction. <laughs> Thanks. Yeah, yeah, for sure. We found that like, a lot of people from uh, immigrant families, they really connected a lot with the game, you know, regardless of whether or not they're Chinese or, uh, or Asian for that matter. Uh, one of our uh, publishers, Brandon from Wet Ink, um, when he played the game, he immediately called his, uh, his mom because his grandmother was from Russia and they like couldn't communicate um, because, you know, she spoke a lot of Russian, he didn't speak a lot. Um, and so, it like really resonated with him and like with a lot of people who just know, you know, of this growing up and have had that similar family dynamic. Yeah, that's that's amazing. I, I love, this is why I love games so much because of the, you know, the, the storytelling and, and it's it's the subtext of the game that really makes a lot of sense and, and matters a lot to people. That's great. And that, that, that uh, speaks to a, a a good point as far as uh, coming up with the idea and, and then ultimately you'll follow through on this as well, but don't be afraid to get personal. Don't be afraid. Um, if, if you're, you know, if you feel comfortable doing that, just give it a shot, put, put something personal into it. Um, if you feel strongly about something or if you are of a particular heritage that you feel is not represented well, um, that could, that could use, uh, some, uh, some further understanding, um, in the community and just in the world in general, you can, you can put that in there. Um, and, and, and like the two, uh, my, my, my co-hosts, yeah, you're both co-hosts. We're not going to call you a guest, <laughs> um, said like there, you can, you, you, different people will get different things out of it. Um, not every game has to be experienced the same way by every single person. Um, and some people will, will enjoy the game on a, on a, a like a superficial kind of surface level they'll just enjoy the process of telling a story um and some people will walk away from like you you never know like even the silliest game somebody might walk away from a moment in that game um where something really resonated with them and you know that can come out of your own personal experience and and how you 
kind of put that in there from the get-go. Yeah, that's that's literature. I, I, I mean, I teach English. I teach literature uh, to high schoolers, and I always try to tell them, think about what you can learn from a story. Even if you disagree with the theme, what can you learn from the story? What are you taking out of it that's going to last longer than the plot itself? And yeah, I, I'm feeling I'm getting emotional over over storytelling in games right now. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I remember what I was going to say before I started getting emotional again, and that is writing what you know, um, just like a writer's advice would be write what you know, design what you know too. And it doesn't have to be something you're a quote unquote expert in. It's just something that matters to you. If you really like, like me, I love underwater sea creatures, but I've never made an underwater sea creature game, but that might be something fun for me to do in the future. I, 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 I could write about being a teacher. Like there, everyone has their own, um, personal experiences that you could use as a springboard into thinking about your game idea. Yeah. Or, or write about the thing that you really want to learn about, that you want to take the time to research. Um, not, you know, not nearly as um, necessarily as interesting as some of the examples that have been brought up here, but like writing capers gave me the opportunity to dig into the history of the twenties and, and learn uh, like, you know, how, how did that actually go down? Like how did prohibition come into, I remember the basics of it from history classes, but like getting into like, cause I had to write a history. I had to write, you know, enough information in the book so people will have a frame of reference for the game. And so I had to go and figure out like, oh, okay, you know, like prohibition was a long time in coming. It took, it was decades of, of things that happened that led to prohibition that ultimately led, you know, and then prohibition led to the rise in organized crime and changed the fabric of, um, uh, of, like of crime within the within the entirety of the United States, um, it was it was hugely influential. Um, it ju it wasn't just like a rocking good time for a decade in the twenties, and then the depression came. It was it had like these massive implications, um, and that's something that you can play. You know, you can bring bring to bear in the game too, because as you if you were interested in learning about that, and I was interested in researching that, um, it allowed me to bring that into the game and say like you know like make a point of. Of, um, of how law enforcement was not prepared at all <laughs> for uh, what was going to happen with, uh, with criminal organizations during that period. It's funny because Jungsha is also set in the 20s, like the core game is also set in the 20s. And it's just like, we learned a lot about the 20s in general. Like, it was a weird time. It was. <laughs> like in San Francisco, <laughs> there was like, um, so they had like back-to-back -back stuff happening. So they had like an earthquake and then that caused a fire. And then in the middle of all of this, there was like a pandemic, like all these things just like happened. Um, and then like organized crime was like a thing. Um, so yeah, it was a very strange time. Uh, but yeah, like going back a little bit to like talking about or writing from what you know, like I've noticed that, um, like when we write about stuff or when I write about stuff that's like really personal to me, it does resonate with like a, a little better than like if I were to write just like, you know, a goofy, silly side piece, uh, which is also fun. Like that's just like, you know, a different thing altogether. But like when I write something that's like a little more personal, like people do, you know, pay attention a little more. And uh, 
like I'm gonna just like talk a little bit about like the the next project that I'm working on with Austin Knight, where uh, I used to go to a boarding school, and so uh, when I was growing up going to boarding school uh, in my high school years, uh, it was like a strange experience for me. So that's like something that I'm gonna be incorporating into a game uh, with Austin, who's also a therapist. So like we're making like this game together, making it like weird, uh, and hopefully people enjoy it because it's like deeply personal for both of us, or at least for me. Uh, I can't speak to, you know, to him for them. But uh, yeah, so it's just like, I think writing from what you know is like important in the sense that you know it already. So it's like a little less work because you already have that experience, but also it resonates with people a lot. Yeah, definitely. It, it, it's, it's so obvious when a game designer has written a game with that passion involved. <coughs> I played a solo game where you are a barista during the COVID pandemic. And it was because the game designer was a barista too and, you know, had to keep going into work. And it was just their way of coping with, you know, feeling like their life was in danger and, you know, and still enjoying their work very, very much. And playing it, even though I had, you know, that was not my experience. I felt that impact. I, I really felt that. Um, and and I, I, I enjoyed that game a lot uh, just because of that passion and personal touch. So there you go, everybody. <laughs> Some things to think about for uh, for creating, uh, you know, coming up with uh, with the idea um, and some of the the core um, features, I guess, of the game. That's not the right word necessarily, but you know, like like we were talking about the, the the text, the subtext, what it's about, what it's really about, what it is to the characters, what it is to the players, um, what, what personal touches go in there. Um, yeah, uh, if like, you start from there, you can't go wrong. I feel. Yeah. I, idea wise. Um, like just, uh, I, I d designed a game called Die Laughing, which is a, a GMless horror comedy game where the whole point is to kill characters. Um, and it's fun. It's very fun <laughs> <laughs> because, because, um, like my, the, and the idea came from the idea that in there's so many horror games out there, but most of the time, they if the characters are going to die, like there's always like, well, what happens when my character dies, as opposed to games where things are just creepy. Um, and, and spooky and stuff like well if your character dies what's going to happen your character's going to you're, you're going to make a new character or you know um you know what do you do go home i mean like what happens <laughs> when your character dies in a horror game um and so i wanted to make a game where like you could kill your character and then still have something to do in the game and that's what happens in die, die laughing and speaking of horror um, <laughs> good segue <laughs> there you go yes. <laughs> um when we asked Banana about uh, what other types of things um, they'd like to speak about, um, you said horror was, I, I, that might have been the only, the only thing, um, there might have been like 20 other things, but I saw that it said <laughs> horror, and I said, that's what we're going to talk about in the first episode, because I'm also a big horror buff, and as it turns out, Jess. Yes, I, one of my, it's, I, okay, I say it's one of my favorite genres, it's definitely my favorite genre of movie, uh, absolutely love it. <laughs> so there so. might there might be like one shot episodes of uh not this but like another thing with where, where jess and i just talk horror movies oh, um yeah. yeah there might be one of those um <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> might not even vigorously no. <laughs> if, if if craig has anything to say about it um and uh and it sounds like jess is on board so um banana 
um, horror. What what did what what did you want to? T- I mean, this is wide open. It's like what what have you what have, what what's your favorite stuff? What what have, what have you seen seen or read or whatever recently uh. that you're really digging? Um, what did you see in a horror game that you thought was really spectacular? It's like this is wide open. Yeah. So uh, Jabari and I for a project that I can't talk about. Uh, <laughs> recently, we saw Hausu. <laughs> I don't know if you've seen it all, uh, but it's uh, from. I think it was like 77, 1977. Um, and this movie is, I guess it's classified as horror, but it's like comedy horror. And also it doesn't make a lot of sense, but it does make sense. Like overall, if I were to explain it to you, you'd be like, oh, okay. So it's just a regular horror movie. So uh, basically a bunch of kids, uh, teen kids, they're invited to this house and uh, lo and behold, murders happen because the house is cursed. Um, and so uh, that's what the synopsis of the, the, the movie is. But the thing itself is, uh, it's like, it doesn't make a lot of sense. So you would have um, flying heads, like biting people and you would have like, uh, you know, just appendages all over the place. And it's like obvious that it's green screen and like you have uh, these effects, you know, that like circle effect that you get, like not the star wipe, but like the, the circle wipe, I guess. Like there was a lot of that. Um, and the lighting was amazing, but it was also just very strange. Um, and also, I learned from Jabari that uh, the movie was directed by someone who used to d- uh, direct perfume commercials. So that <laughs> makes a lot of sense now. <laughs> yeah, horror would be a lot different if there was actual smell o vision uh, I don't know if I would enjoy it as much. <laughs> there was a horror movie that did that, and they gave you scratch and sniff stickers. What was it called? It's like the fifties when they were doing all the gimmicky stuff, like the 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 the, t- the tingler where they actually like electrocuted people. They actually. Oh my gosh! They, this is a thing that happened. They put like a small electrical current into some of the seats oh, in theaters, no. and so when the thing would happen in, I think the thing, I think the movie was called The Tingler. Um, they would give people, oh, you know, in the audience, would, and they did that. And there was also a movie that had a smell thing that was like you literally got like a. a sheet of scratch and sniff stickers and it was like 50s or 60s maybe 70s that like you know when there was 3d and when they they were just doing all this kind of really gimmicky stuff when they um were just trying all sorts of weird things because uh the studios that were making horror movies at the time were stuck under the haze code so they couldn't get terribly graphic uh-huh. um so they had so they were they were doing that like it's like we'll make it so it's 3d it comes at you and like you know um and we'll do uh there's there's we can get away with having crazy stuff happen to um, the, the 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 bad guys if we have them be um, aliens or like giant mutated bugs or something because that's not people um, and so we can we can you know because um, there's only so much violence you could show um, and that's you know and then the the Cold War and the nuclear age and everything is what caused you know all those sci-fi horror movies where it was all just giant mutated stuff um but yeah they did weird stuff like these <laughs> scratch and sniff they did it i i could go looking yeah i swear i, I, I swear to you there's yes. something like that i see <laughs> there, there's just something so visceral about like adding of the senses to to horror um in a larp that i played dystopia rising uh, one of the chapters 
did smell effects at one point um and it made it very intense because um, disturb your rising is a horror larp where you know you're in the post-apocalypse um and there's zombies and, and things that want to kill you all the time um and the smell effects um just, we don't need to make it scarier come on we're already out of the woods let's stop <laughs> there was scent, scent no. of mystery which was done in smell-o-vision <laughs> um one of the spy or the there's spy kids four did is that the one <laughs> spy kids four they did a smell-o-vision thing when when robert rodriguez did the what? fourth movie in the spy kids mo series they did um like a smell-o-vision thing scratch and sniff stickers or, or a card That's yeah there's hilarious. there's been a few movies that have done it so weird. That is so funny. <laughs> but they'll, they'll try anything, you know. See, that's the next thing in gaming. Like everyone gets a scratch and sniff thing for your book. <laughs> okay, when you when you do this, scratch. When you enter this room of the dungeon, it smells like this. <laughs> well, there are always those booths at Gen Con and, and Origins that have the candles, the, the adventure scents, and oh yeah, yeah, that you can buy. Yeah. Like here's the candle that smells like your tavern. Um, yeah, I guess. People really do want the smells. They want to <laughs> get that in there. But uh, going back to horror movies in general, how, okay, Haosu, it it's a Japanese movie, right? Yes, it's a Japanese movie. So <laughs> one of the things that I find really fun about Japanese horror is the lack, in a lot of the Japanese horror that I've seen, is the lack of jump scares and like mm. the more of like the, the building of dread. That's what I really, really enjoy about uh, movies I don't really like jump scares all that much because I am a little bit of a baby when it comes to that uh, but I can handle the the growing dread I want to feel like I need to shrink down and hide from whatever's on screen and that really gets me so movies like um, uh, Juon did oh. that really really well whereas The Grudge which is the American remake that relied on a lot of those jump scares but the like the the, the creeping sense of i'm going to die <laughs> that that juan captured so well um i really enjoy stuff like that it doesn't sound like house had a lot of that it sounds like that was just a lot it was like yeah it could have been a perfume commercial i i couldn't tell <laughs> it was great um but yeah i saw juan and uh the ring in theaters like as a kid and that <laughs> terrified me like I so I watched um I think it was like uh the ring versus so it was like the two ghosts from the ring and uh Juan like versus one another like predator versus alien <laughs> oh. um and I was like I can't be scared of this like this is just like you know silly goofs and then later on I don't know it brought back some childhood fears I was just <laughs> like this is terrifying I can't sleep for like three four hours right now <laughs> I had I had similar experiences with because um, there believe it or not there are um, U.S. made films that do that fairly well with It Follows. Oh yeah, um, I was thinking with, the same. And, and with Hereditary, mm -hmm. um, that both like just slowly build. Like you know, by the time by, by the time I got to the last third of Hereditary, I was just a bundle of nerves. I was like I like I I ended that movie like I had sore muscles because I was so tensed up yeah um from a certain point forward <laughs> if you know <laughs> yeah. the movie you know the certain point and i just didn't untense i didn't i didn't unclench my body um uh and then i've been lately i've been uh 
because I'm toying around with an idea for a, for a game that's essentially um, like small town horror, Stephen King, kind of like a town that won't let you leave. And there's um, people that just like they know horrors going on around them. There's all these terrible things and they know it, but they, they, they just kind of ignore it. And it's not directly personally affecting them and all that sort of thing. So I'm watching old Stephen King movies and whew, there's a lot of stinkers. Um. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> he's not a very good director like anytime he just like wants to do a thing it's just not a good idea <laughs> um maximum overdrive he did that coked out of his mind um mm. and it was also based on a like a 12 page short story so it wasn't like the best thing to convert to a film but it has Emilio Estevez in it um and Lisa Simpson <laughs> Yardley, Yardley <laughs> Smith um but I I I've I've been watching some of those and um, man, I think like they redid, they, you know, they did the, the two part movie for it. Um, and they're doing the stand again as a mini series um, with, I think like more contemporary sensibilities. Cause those were both done as mini series in the nineties. Um, I think there's like, there's a resurgence there that I hope continues to play out. Cause I think there are some stories from Stephen King that were done as some of those earlier you know from the first half of his career that were like 80s that everybody's very nostalgic about but when you go back and watch him you're like mm. <laughs> um mm-hmm. that i think could be really great if they like did it again and and tried to hit a little bit more of what the the story is about rather than like um i watch needful things have you have you, either of you seen that the movie no. version um the the setup for the story and this doesn't give anything away is that this, this, a new store opens in the town um, and it's called needful things. And it's run by this old guy and it's the devil and it's a deal with the devil story. Um, you figure out that he's, he's not on the up and up pretty darn quick. Um, <laughs> but the story delves into like the, the prejudices and the, the hatred that the people in this town have that seething under the surface um, that these, that there's all these animosities and all these things that people, they just, they dislike about each other. And, and the, the, the character Leland gone, like brings all of that to a boil. And it just like, I read this, I read the novel. Um, and it does a great job of like seeing like all these terrible little things that like this person hates this person because of this. And it's this, they, they all have these long histories of with, with each other and it's small town horror where it's like, you know, Everything looks lovely and idyllic in Norman Rockwell, but underneath there's all this grime and terrible stuff. Um, and I'd, I'd love to see them redo that and and l- do it as a, like a two-part miniseries or something. Let it be a little longer so that you can really spend the time to delve into like why these characters hate each other so much and build the dread. That movie would have been... A, it, it just didn't build the dread enough. Yeah, um, there, there are so many there. like people who just... There's so many people who just think that horror as a genre is like... Uh, a popcorn flick let's just watch something fun for that but a lot of good good horror has those those themes in it and um, directors like Jordan Peele uh, with Get Out I mean he made that very obvious like okay this is a horror movie but it is about this instead Um, but you know most most horror does that in some way like exploits a a flaw in society Uh, I don't know what Haosu did all those all those flying heads that we have to deal with every day so okay so my interpret so we think that it's um it's a reaction movie to uh suspiria i don't know how uh but there are a lot of references to like um (coughs) 
Norikone and just like Suspiria in general. Like mm -hmm. the colors were very Suspiria and like it felt like a reaction to it. Um, but then again, I don't know. Maybe, <laughs> maybe not. Some, I, some just don't have any subtext. Yeah. That's fine. Yeah. <laughs> but I really do like this whole genre of like suburban horror and like domestic horror. Like mm -hmm. that is like a really interesting just like the whole genre of things like because I feel like when we're talking about um suburban horror it's like a lot different from like you know the slasher flick or like you know the the other kind of flick because it does draw things on a little longer and it does feel like a lot more um a lot more like social if anything um yeah. like one of my favorite movies is The Invitation uh which is basically I mean it's not really horror but it is horror it's about um uh i don't want to like spoil it too much but uh there are uh there is a cult basically <laughs> but is there a cult we don't know um so that's like basically the entire movie it's like drawn on for like i don't know i think it's like an hour and a half the first hour you don't know if there's a cult or not like people are at this dinner party and like things just like they're trying to like play with your uh with your your um sense of like you know reality in general like is you know the the narrator the person that you're like seeing this movie through is the protagonist like someone that is trustworthy or not um and so that's sort of that's sort of like weird like you know what's going on in a social situation the social setting like sort of like how Midsommar does it right like where they play a lot on um you know the social aspects between people like I think that's like really interesting and really exciting in terms of horror uh, the horror genre in general it's like slice of life except much more nefarious and <laughs> yeah like, like everything's all bright and shiny and awesome but like what's going on why is everything so perfect <laughs> mm -hmm. well, midsummer was a great a great movie well horror, horror goes in cycles when the public consciousness is in certain places um, and so I think we see a lot of that stuff more now because the public consciousness people are wondering like, you know, is the world really as good as we would like it to be? Um, the last time that there was a big surge of that where you saw it in movies was in the 70s, I think, where you had movies about like the rogue directors who were, who were making things um, like uh, Last House on the Left and, and stuff like that. Like, you know, the, what's going on under the surface of what you think is like this perfect, lovely life. Like these girls are going to go to a concert and they're going to have a lovely time and then things go terribly, terribly wrong. Um, and it, it and it comments quite a bit on um, like the things that we don't want to admit are there. Um, and we're seeing, I think, um, a surge of some of that. Um, yeah. I'm really interested in seeing like what kind of horror we're going to get coming out of the pandemic. Uh, Cause I don't think it's going to be what people expect. Like with the, with the bio kind of horror, um, like I don't think we're going to see movies like contagion out of this. Um, I think it's going to be a little different, but I mean, who knows? I'm, I'm not a, I'm not in the business of prediction, but uh, Amer <coughs> uh, American horror story does a good job of, of reacting and commenting on, on things that are happening during the year, um, like their their uh, season cult um, was a commentary on the 2016 election. Um, they've they've just done a pretty good job in general, um, you know, making you feel a little bit weird about life. <laughs> yeah, I agree with what you're saying about not. Um, I don't think that 
they're gonna have like I don't think that bio horror is like where people are gonna be start think um have their like attention focused to I think that they're gonna start there's gonna probably be a lot more horror about like claustrophobia like using that sort of as a theme uh claustrophobia and like social dynamics um and i think the internet as well like digital age stuff uh because we're so you know we're consumed by it so much now like this is what we do day to day like you know we have so many in, even that like zoom horror movie host like that was like a thing mm -hmm. i think we're gonna see a lot more of that and like movies like cam um so i think that's where where horror is headed and it'll be interesting to see when the the horror make horror filmmaking community decides it's okay to do bio horror again because like if if you look at just historically just from the perspective of the of the United States um, when the Vietnam War ended um, it was ten years before anybody did a Vietnam movie but then they were everywhere mm -hmm. um, you know very quickly. Um, so there will there will come a point where people where it'll be enough in the past that it's still scary, but it's not so immediate that it really is incredibly painful. Um, yeah. So, you know, it's just a question of when that'll happen, how quickly we'll get to that. But, um, yeah, I think that uh, claustrophobia um, and how we relate to people. Um, the idea of what truth is as well yeah. is, I think, mm -hmm. another theme that's going to be prominent. I think we could get into um, things that hearken to the pandemic, like the idea of like everybody's afraid of crowd. Well, not everybody necessarily, but you know, a lot of people are afraid of crowds being in large groups, mm -hmm. um, and that you could have movies that play off of that or play off of not knowing, you know, what to expect out of people. Like we may see a resurgence in pod people type movies. Ooh, um, I where, love that. Where, where you don't know what to expect out of your neighbor or, or, or out of people. Um, or like mass hysteria type of movies. Yeah, where, yeah. Uh, right, where, uh, 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 you know, the, the crazies, um, the two versions mm -hmm. of the crazies or th those types of movies where there's mm -hmm. like a, a mass hysteria kind of outbreak yeah. where kind of everybody, um, all, all of the non-protagonists <laughs> um, kind of lose it and become uncontrollable and violent and so forth that, yeah, maybe... Be, yeah. um, it'll, it's going to be real? an interesting age um, for the next few years just in media in general like how people are oh, yeah. going to deal with it like I don't watch the show myself but I know that um, Grey's Anatomy is right in they're in the pandemic you know that's what the characters are doing this season mm -hmm. so can I derail the conversation just a go tiny for it. bit so do you all listen to the podcast uh, I think it's called Supernatural by Ashley with Ashley Flowers no so, but I'm always in always in the business for new podcasts. So I'm going to write this down. It is very good. So the latest episode deals with um, there's this laughter plague or laughing plague where uh, a bunch of people in this town, I believe it was Germany in like the 1600s, they just, or sorry, not laughing, dancing plague where they just like couldn't stop dancing. Um, and they like danced for... Uh, for days on end and like when they get tired when the sun sets they like collapse because they're so exhausted from dancing um, so this lasted for like you know I don't know how many days uh, but apparently it's like a thing that happens like you know people can take on like this is not just like you know a one incident it's happened like multiple times this is where like the Pied Piper story comes from uh, where a bunch of children they like dance from one end of uh 
this country to like another um <coughs> and there was like another one where it was like a laughter uh a, you know a laughter epidemic as well uh so i think like definitely that sort of like world of pandemic stuff like that kind of that kind of thing was probably going to be like um like a thing that people are going to play on in um in pop culture and horror movies yeah there was another podcast i was listening to that was talking about the dancing plague but i cannot remember what what it was um but they went into some interesting like um social factors that could have caused the plague and like this this increase in anxiety and then mm-hmm. and talked about it in relation to uh the covid pandemic and <laughs> that's pretty freaky <laughs> yeah <laughs> history is full of really bizarre weird things like that too like uh I think it was called the people referred to it as the sleeping sickness. There are other things that are happening now that people refer to as the sleeping sickness. And this is not the same thing, but there was like, there was a disease where people would get, this was like, you know, several hundred years ago in, in, in Western Europe where people would get sick and they would, they would be different. They would sleep. They would be difficult to wake. They'd be very lethargic and everything. And there was like recorded cases of outbreaks of this. And then it's gone. It's never talked about in history again nobody ever talks about there being this thing happening in the you know having communities that have this thing spread in them again because and and nobody has any proof of like well what was it that changed about society that caused that particular thing to not happen and spread anymore because you know as you made changes in sanitation and how you cook your food and what how people are treated for different things just certain things stop being a problem so at some there was a point where like this sickness just okay it's just never happens again and now people are you know, scientists and archaeologists and, and, and um uh, not archaeologists but um anthropologists look back at it and they're just like no idea uh, there, that makes it even scarier there's not a, yeah this <laughs> thing this on? thing is the thing is because it was never cured it's just it's potentially still out there for the right circumstances it's just those circumstances have just not happened again yet and yes. this and this has happened throughout history all over the world. There are examples of this sort of thing. Oh man, wow. I love being scared. <laughs> Good night, everybody. <laughs> Good night. Or don't sleep. Woo. <laughs> uh, I, I have now added um that podcast to my favorites list on Stitcher. I am excited to start listening. <laughs> it's very good. Yeah, I love stuff like that. Uh, the the one kind of horror that I don't like to listen to is true crime, and that's so ubiquitous. I, just, I, I don't like. It feels it feels a little voyeuristic. Yeah. Too 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 macabre for my taste, but luckily she separates own. them. So like you would have hauntings, and you would have like you know, hauntings. She tries to you know debunk it or like figure out like a scientific reasoning for like you know the hauntings or like the curses. Um, and then there's like others where it's just like sort of true crimey, but it's like unsolved and mm-hmm. you know, this is probably what happened. Yeah. Stuff like that is okay for me. Like, um, <laughs> like the Vis- Basilica Axe murders and stuff like that. Uh, like I'll, I'll, I'm fine listening to stuff like that, but I don't want to, stuff that's too recent. I don't know. It's kind of like what, what Craig was saying. At one point, is it okay to, to use this as entertainment? Mm-hmm. But Yeah. Um, well, this was fun. <laughs> okay, well, before before we wrap up, I'm going to throw this out there because I haven't listened to the whole thing, too. i got to get back to it and, and listen to the rest of it. Um, there's a podcast called Ear Hustle, um, which is um, done by um, a prisoner 
Yeah, at San cool. Quentin. Um, and then like there's a, a I don't remember for sure what she does. She's she works at the prison at least part time. She um, she and, and one of the things she does is she makes this podcast and it basically tells the story of like what it's actually like inside of a maximum That's security awesome. prison. Really cool. Um, and each episode's about a half an hour long and they, they get in like each episode touches on like something about um, and it it uh, uh, and it's it, it's not sensationalist. It's like it gets into very real issues about like, you know, they spend an episode talking about what it's like for a prisoner to know that they're going to be in for life and they're never going to get hugged again. Wow. You know, they're never going to have that kind of human contact ever again and, and coming to grips with that or what it's like to be in prison. And now your release date is coming up and what happens to you emotionally for the last week before as you wait for that to get there and it like um yeah it's it's an incredibly interesting um and and at times very raw look at what yeah happens. that sounds really cool i love that it's from the perspective of someone who is in prison and they occasionally inter- in prison. yeah they occasionally interview other prisoners as well about with like specific circumstances and things like that too oh that's cool yeah sides of stories that we don't get to hear very often so that's our fourth segment <laughs> podcast recommendation so, yeah. <laughs> recommend a podcast that has absolutely nothing to do with gaming um, again so, everything has everything to do with gaming mm-hmm. that's very true consume <laughs> they live that's a fun movie too right consume, oh yeah eat obey <laughs> when you were talking about pod people i was thinking about <laughs> uh <laughs> Well, uh, Banana Chan, can you tell us where we can find you on on the internet and other places, and you know, what can our listeners go look for? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, you can find me on Twitter all the time at Banana Chan Games, uh, and you can find my company Game in a Curry at Game in a Curry, also on Twitter and Facebook. Uh, the next thing I'm working on is a kids tabletop RPG called Questlings that's on Kickstarter now. Uh, it's a really cool way to get your kids into, you know, TTRPGs uh, if they're just starting to learn about them or if you're just, you know, learning how to GM. It's a cool way to, to get started. Um, it also has a really awesome safety feature that's red, over <coughs> green, which is uh, done in the style of emojis. So your kids can just point at things when they, they're feeling uh, like a thing is not going the way that they want it to. That's awesome. And that still has um, like two weeks left on it, right? Yes, it's got two weeks left on it. Uh, I'm working on it with Tim Devine uh, and Dan Letterman. Let him uh sorry dan lessering uh letterman games is publishing the game uh, along with game in a curry awesome well congratulations on on the successful kickstarter and i hope that you see even more success as it continues on thank you thanks for having me on yeah thank you for being here thank you for being the guinea pig yes (laughs) (laughs) well craig what are we talking about next time oh i don't have that in front of me um <laughs> <laughs> oh i put you on the spot i'm so sorry yeah. i can tell you <laughs> We're still okay go for it go for it <laughs> <laughs> well uh next time we will um we will have our show on again on december 11th and we're going to talk about for gming topics we're going to talk about um what system and and games that you're going to play and, and how you can find players to play those games with you which is the goal of everyone and uh, for game design topics we'll talk about diving into setting and lore of your game so starting to build up the the ideas that you might have started establishing it um establishing while you were thinking about your game idea and we uh 
are going to have our guest Kate Bullock. Is that correct? We we hope. I'm, we I'm hope. still her, waiting to hear back. <laughs> um, it's uh, maybe Kate, maybe somebody else. I'm okay. still I'm still I'm waiting. Kate, if you hear this, <laughs> email me. <laughs> well, okay. Well, we'll, and, we'll and take if this we don't and if, if we don't have Kate next time, we'll have Kate at some point. I'm sure. <laughs> All right. Well, uh, again, I was Jess Geyer, and this was Craig Campbell and (laughs) Banana Chan. Thank you for, again, for joining us, and we hope to see you all next time. Thanks for having me. Bye, everybody. Bye. Go watch a horror movie, then go to bed. (laughs) Or don't.